Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for joining us at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. You can click subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's Apple, Google, Spotify, Good Pods, Amazon, and as well as the YouTube channel. And uh, there you'll begin every uh, podcast episode as well as several quick take reviews. Now, I've got a few I've uh, published really recently uh, as I'm going through movies for the end of the year. And that is the Sonic Summit Podcast YouTube channel. But wherever you subscribe and listen to the podcast is appreciated. can check us out at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. There you will get series like Leaving the Collection and Life Soundtrack as well as early access reviews, um, Oscar nomination discussion, and film festival coverage. That is at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. So this is this is actually a uh, discussion that's been a long time coming. It, we're up to the end of the year, and um, there, were, there were times where we weren't entirely sure when this... Uh, discussion was going to be happening if uh, it was ever going to happen (laughs) because of of the uh, absolute disaster that has been uh, Warner Brothers discovery over the past couple of years Um, but we are here now and on as on the week of the release of Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom we are going to be discussing James Wan's 2018 film, Aquaman. The we is myself, obviously, as well as past guests, D.W. Lundberg and Kevin Thomas. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm, thank you. I'm, I'm looking at the budget for Aquaman and the Lost King. It's $205 million. I looked at... So it's, there is no oh, way they can just sweep that under the rug, right? They yeah, have to release no. that's, that's too I, much I, of a tax write-off. <laughs> you know, I, I I don't I don't put anything past David Zaslav to use the tax write-off anymore. Yeah, <laughs> just the the fact that this is getting released at all, I don't care if I love it. I don't even care if I hate it. I'm just happy that somebody made a movie for Warner Brothers and it's getting released. <laughs> this that's this a low is bar. an point. Now, I mean, it, you know, it's like there was a lot of talk about the Flash before it was coming out. It's like, how do you even release this? And it's like, well, because of the fact that it costs <laughs> a couple hundred dollars. That's all this how, money. That's, that's, how, that's how you oh. release The Flash was... I, I was a defender of that. I am. I enjoy it. I think it's fun. I think that it's, like, it's, it's, it's fine not going to be on any favorite list but it's it's enjoyable and that's what i can do to step up and defend it wait are we talking about the flash yes to me it was no we're talking about so we are talking about (laughs) well i mean kevin just saying right now that he okay all right no yeah i'm I'm glad somebody enjoys it that's great i I, there were things i I liked about it hey i know i'm in the minority I am fully aware I'm in the minority on thinking that movie is fine. 
<laughs> well, they uh, you, we have all these like worst, you know, worst of the year lists, and oh, just no. I I can't like I can't I haven't seen enough that I can you know confidently put together a worst list. But I just like for me, the Flash is the worst thing that I've seen all year. I I it just okay. gets worse the more that I think, and it's it's okay. no it's no shade on you, Kevin. Enjoy. I mean, there is oh, stuff yeah, to yeah. enjoy, but there. Oh yeah. And I don't know if we'll talk about it, but like oh oh boy, like just like oh, uh, no. Brian said, I can't believe this. <laughs> least <laughs> oh, oh no and the thing i understand no and there are things that there are certain things that it does that i hate yeah. but i i'm like mm. overall i'm like listen i recognize there are many there are several reasons why people would hate the movie both related to the movie and outside factors of it i was like look as a movie i'm like it's it's watchable i enjoy it on the most basic level as like action things colors and you know it, it, i can't yeah. even muster up that much enthusiasm like look i didn't hate it i thought it was like <laughs> watchable i have enjoyed it it is a thing i can turn my brain completely off for and not think about whatsoever mm -hmm. and it's like look it it functions as a movie for me that is yeah. all i can say to defend the film yeah, it's not the worst thing. Of, it's not even the worst comic book movie. It's no. just there, there are just there are things in it. You know, on the level of like Superman four or uh, uh, yeah. X Men Origins yeah. Wolverine. Where I, I'm watching it going, okay. why did they? How did they? Oh work? man, you know what I mean? Super, like you know, see, yeah, I'll say like so. I have a small story with X Men Origins Wolverine, which is so I that came out when I was about 14 years old, and as a dumb 14 year old, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. To the point where I even like, so I invited a girl over to watch it with me one time, and I'm sitting there having a, a good time, and I turned to her at the end, she's like, how was it? And she's like, it was okay. <laughs> and then it was like, and then later I was like, wait, actually that sucked. Yeah. <laughs> Why did I enjoy Kevin, this? Kevin, it's it's okay. I was 31 years old when X-Men Origins Wolverine <laughs> came out. I, I actually enjoyed it at the time. Oh, um, I, we we all have we all have our uh we we all have our uh baggage with I mean, uh, certain movies. I think my I think I think the worst movie that I liked when I was a kid was is Son of the Mask. Oh man. Yeah, that was <laughs> I, I distinctly remember my my dad and my grandfather sitting there watching it with me and I'm enjoying it and they're just being very quiet. And I turn to them when it ends and I'm like, that was so great. And they just look at me with these stares of uh-huh. <laughs> and now well, I hate it. <laughs> you know, even even Batman and Robin isn't as bad as I thought it was when it came. I mean, I'm I'm trying not to be a cynical bastard as much as I usually am. But like it, there's it is what it is, you know what I mean? It's just there, no. I, I don't know. Like the, Even yeah. that, like, I think that, I think something that I will say for Batman Round's defense is that I think that, I think Arnold Schwarzenegger and Uma Thurman are really keyed into what it's, to what it's going for. And I think George Clooney makes an actually, like, good Bruce Wayne. It's like when he's out in the public. <laughs> well, he's doing he's the real stuff. life Bruce Wayne. As well, well in the, or not even that, but like, yeah, out in the public when he's just being George Clooney. Of course, he's natural. But like, even in the few quiet moments where he's kind of being slightly pensive, as as pensive as a movie made for six year olds will allow him to be, I think he does. I think he does okay, and with a and with a stronger 
I guess it was a, yeah. with a more thematically focused movie, I think he could have been a good Batman. Yeah, he's fine. It's it's you're right about Schwarzenegger and Thurman. They're they're crude, and it's I just think Clooney's probably the least embarrassing thing about the he he has a good arc I think in the movie. So there's a yeah. positive for Batman and Robin. <laughs> yeah, oh, he's he's got more of an arc in Batman and Robin than he has in the Tim Burton '89 Batman. I'll, 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 I'll say, say that. I'll, I, I'll I'll say that too. Like I the, the I, I look at I look at Batman '89 as a Joker movie that Batman happens to be in. <laughs> That's a good point. Anyway, the water boy. <laughs> Aquaman. So, Aquaman. Um, <laughs> uh, well, context we're, we're, is good, right, Brian? Yeah. I mean, we're, 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 we're in good shape here. I mean, we're, you know, the fact of the matter is it's like I did, I did kind of want to talk about DC to a certain extent, the DCU to a certain extent. I mean, you know, I, I, I am with you Kevin words like I, I think there are things about the flash that are fine. Um but yeah it's it's a I'll admit it is a movie that I will probably like never watch again. <laughs> I mean it you know I mean I, I think with with a lot of the DCEU you can basically qualify it as say yeah there are things I like about it but yeah it's it's it it just doesn't have that same impact as the best Marvel movies have. I mean, well, I, think, I think, yeah, I think the issue, because I have always said the DC, I'm a big, so the thing with franchises is they get, I, I get in trouble because I compare them to McDonald's a lot of the time. It's just the <laughs> process. And it's fine. Like, enjoy McDonald's. There's nothing against that. Like, there's a reason why there's, what, 80 billion served, right? It's, there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. Yeah. When you, it's just when you get to franchises, I end up super craving just a voice, like a personal voice. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And yes. out of everything, the DCEU is, except for, save, say, two movies, there's just a really deep personal voice to every single movie. And so there's that, that I, even the Snyder movies, which I do not enjoy, I can at least say yeah. that they've got a personality and they've got something on their mind. Whereas mm-hmm. the Marvel stuff is more just, here's they, processed fast food, have a, have a good time with your Happy Meal. Here's your toy at the end, you know, that kind of thing. But right. I think I the problem with the DCEU is that it's just scatter. Like when you can, I think we've all got disease brain, like the connected universe disease brain now, where we expect everything. Like if this doesn't match up with that, then then our brains kind of reject it. But, you know, I'm kind of like, well, I'd rather have a a voice than connecting at the end to what somebody said three movies ago. I I want there to be, I want a filmmaker to take Aquaman or take Batman or take Wonder Woman and say, okay, here's this character, but here's what I want to say through them. Here's a, here's a point that I want to say through them using these iconic characters, which again yeah. is a hard, hard balance to strike. But so if I had to choose, like the MCU obviously is more entertaining, but I just, I can't let it slide that the DCEU is not worth something because there is a voice to like what 90% of these movies, even if they're not great. And I agree. Yeah. And I agree with that. I think that, like, in re- I I find that even the even the DCEU movies that I that I don't really like, I end up I've gone back and rewatched them because they all I think they all have good things in, about them, like individual ideas or arcs or character beats that I or action that I like. And even if they don't work, I can at least tell. Okay. Only this person could have made this movie this way, and it made yeah. me feel like this. 
And even if I don't like how how they're handling the characters, I'm like, okay, yeah. this is your this is what your take on Superman is. This is what your take on the Suicide Squad as a team is. This right. is what you know. Yeah, like I like being able to. I like being able to see. This is what a director wanted to do because I grew up in the early two thousands where almost every comic book movie was, whether it was good or bad, had a unique voice, a unique flair to it. So I got used. I got used to that, and so seeing DC kind of continues that tradition with every movie where okay, I feel like the director made this movie. Yeah. Even if I don't yeah. like it, I'm like, hey, you know what? Somebody made this movie that only they could have made, and I respect that. Right. Well, you know, I just, I think I just thought of this. You know those little sticky toys that kids have? You throw it against the wall, and you see it like it, it like crawls down the wall, right? You know what I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah. That's, that's the MCU. Like, you, you throw it, and oh, look how fun that is. And it, it, but it doesn't leave a mark. There's nothing on, like the DCEU, like I can watch Batman versus Superman and I will go and I'll punch a hole through that wall because it made me so mad, right? <laughs> but then when I look at that wall again, I don't remember the last Marvel project I saw, but I can see that hole that I just punched in the wall. Well, and I'll always remember that because it made a stamp, negative oh or yeah. positive. Oh, oh yeah. And with that one in particular, I've rewatched the, the theatrical version of that several times just because it's like, I found a way to appreciate it as a, this is so insane that it shouldn't exist, but I'm happy it does because I get to watch it just careen into itself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. That, that movie is the definition of tonal dissonance. <laughs> oh my God. I would, I, would yeah. argue, I, I would argue that this movie sometimes approaches that line at certain points. At certain but, points, but I will talk. Not, I, I, yeah, I think this not, one has a, a better it, attitude, maybe. <laughs> that, that papers this, over that stuff. Yeah, this yeah. this has more. This has a bit. This has. Uh, this feels very much like its own thing. Like it feels like they gave James Wan two hundred million dollars to yep. just. Okay, look, you're this horror guy. You've made that Furious Seven thing that made a bajillion dollars. We're gonna give you money to make a movie off of our fish guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and the thing is, it's like one of the things I love about this movie is the fact that the tone is very different from just about any other DCU movie, yeah. where it's like yeah. there is a very knowing sense of humor to this film. That I I think even even in moments that are kind of melodramatic, kind of supposed to be serious, like the beginning with between Tamara Morrison and uh, Nicole Kidman's characters, um, there's there's something about them that is just very distinctive in terms of the way that they play those characters and the fact that they, you do feel like there's a connection between those two characters, even though you, you would never have expected from those, those actors. Well, there's, yeah. there's a sincerity to this movie yeah. that that's not 
again, comparing it to Batman versus Superman, where everybody in the movie is there. I don't really consider them people. They're just like avatars for statements that you're trying to make. There's no. Yeah. Uh, to an extent, I, yeah. Henry, Henry Cavill is a very charismatic actor, and I love watching uh, him, like, especially a man from Uncle. But you watch him uh, as Superman, and I'm like, this guy is dead weight. Like, what? He's just frowning the whole time. Like, there's what it. And that's because, again, he's playing an avatar. He's playing like a, a walking. Uh, statement for some, but I think that's the difference between that and this is there's some actual sincerity, like Brian, you're saying there's a connection there, and it's that even though it's goofy, that's it's that connection that I think makes this one stand apart from the previous ones. Yeah, and I think that, and the thing, and I'm happy you brought the opening up because that the op I had to stop myself. From, I had to stop myself from live tweeting my my like reactions to this as I was watching it tonight. But like the the opening of this thing, I really like how small it is. I really like that this big, goofy, ridiculous superhero movie opens up with two people just meeting each other and falling in love and starting a family. Mm-hmm. And then the mass, the blue Master Chief guys show up. But like before that, it's like, look, this is just a, a nice little quiet human opening to this movie that invests me. It makes me care really fast. Well, the sincerity that I'm talking about, and Kevin, you just, it's, you, there's a bond that they're forming. So when the master, you know, when the action scene starts, there's a, a sense of um, scale and stakes because there's something to lose here, right? There's yeah. a family that they've built and the action puts them in danger. And so you're involved. Again, some previous movies, it's just mass destruction. And so there's no, there's nothing really to latch onto, like with your heart. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it's so there. There's a major difference when the fighting starts and she has to go back. It's like they've, they're at a, and they're crying at each other. And she says, I, you know, we can't cry under, there's an, like I'm talking, there's some sincerity there and some feeling. And that's, that's the difference. Yeah. There's also, when he brings her in, do you got, did you guys hear the Archer Treachers commercial that they're playing on the, on the TV? Oh, which is, that, which is, is a that seafood is? place. Yes, it's a seafood <laughs> restaurant. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I remember that. Okay, that's the see... sense of humor that the movie okay, has. Okay, did you guys see that he has like an H.G. Wells not, or not? It was it a, an H.P. Lovecraft? It's the Lovecraft, yes. On it's his the, on his yeah. table, and I it's I the Cthulhu of, like, thing that pays off later. Yes. Yeah, yeah and thing, I thought of this is the first time I noticed that on this viewing, and I was like, okay, so I wonder if that has anything to do with this weird bit that happens later. I wouldn't be surprised if, it, if there was just a little seating there. But yeah, yeah the open. Yeah, the opening of this is really nice and really sweet. And even like yeah, I, I feel like the opening I feel like the, the opening act of this does a really good job with the smaller character stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, you're talking about the James Wan is not a stupid filmmaker. No. Um no. when when I heard that he was directing this, that got my antenna quivering. I was like, ooh, James Wan. Like, cause I'm not really a fan of the Saw franchise, but I admire what the first Saw did. Right. Yeah. Um, I like Insidious had some, and then had some style to it. And The Conjuring, I adore The Conjuring. In general. Yeah. It's the uh, furthest thing from the Saw aesthetic that you can get. It's just a spooky haunted house movie that's so scary it got an R rating because it was so scary, not because of any gore. Yeah. And so just yeah. as a filmmaker, I was just in love with him. And well, let's see what he gets with the superhero movie. And holy crap, like he really uses that budget. Uh, Brian, did you, <laughs> we really just jumped into it. Like, 
did, was there a history that you wanted to share about the movie or are we just <laughs> not necessarily you know I, mean? I mean i i just wanted to take this opportunity to talk about the movie because of okay. the fact that um i mean my my history with this movie was watching it opening night with my wife and then that later that night we ended up uh going out to uh colorado to visit some family for christmas i mean that was my history like it's it's not extravagant history but um no i i just genuinely have always had a soft spot for this film among the past few years i mean we'll get to part of why that is but i mean you know i i i teased the idea that uh i might get a little controversial on this one oh Um, well (laughs) And here, here's one of the. We're first not, we're not already controversial. <laughs> I think we're well within the. I think we're well within the lines right now. Here, here's one of the things I will say. Um, you know, a a filmmaker that is near and dear to my heart, uh, Darren, you know this is uh, John Woo, mm-hmm. and he uses slow motion to accentuate the action in a way that heightens emotions and the impact of that action. I, one of my biggest beefs with Zack Snyder as a filmmaker has, has always been his over-reliance on slow motion. And I think part of the reason where his approach to slow motion falls apart for me is because of the fact that it feels like he's using slow motion as a way of making basically like live action paintings mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. just there to be gawked over by you know people who appreciate pretty visuals over any emotional weight that they bring to the story. I I think in this film, I do think there's a little bit of the Snyder aesthetic and mm-hmm. what Juan does as a director when it comes to slow motion. But I feel like, especially in that first sequence when the uh, Atlantans uh, come to take Atlanta back to Atlantis... And there's that kick-ass fight sequence that really shows mm-hmm. action film chops from one that we really had not seen before. Nope. <laughs> no, no, that no, Even that series seven. That opening fight is so like cool. He, I feel like he understands what John Woo is doing with slow motion more than any other American filmmaker has. Well, the thing with the, what is it? Nerdwriter One did a, a video on um, a YouTube essay on Batman versus Superman, where where he says that um, Snyder's aesthetic is be odd, like he'll always go for the awesome image, like you said, like a still painting. Whether or not it it ties in with the story being told or the themes, like I I uh, like being controversial. I I do not like his uh, his Watchmen adaptation. Because the whole point of the book is to kind of take the the coolness out of the superheroes and to tell them that these are ordinary, pathetic beings that that should not be admired. And he 
has it, the story doesn't change, but Snyder films the action and 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 frames the characters in a way that they are awesome. And I'm like, this is running oh, completely counter okay. to the story that's being told. And I get that he's trying to go, mm. but the mo- the mm. story is still exactly the same. And I'm like, why are they posing? This is negating the whole point of the book. And it's the whole movie's like that. To the point where he can't even get silly with the giant squid that takes it. He has to go like for the seriousness, right? With the, just having yeah. Manhattan do it. I just... It's the it's that dissonance and the, the slow motion. So again, he, it's the he just at the expense of good sense, at the expense of themes, at the expense of the story being cold or characters. He will always go for that image, which is cool. His movies are gorgeous, but there's something in my brain that I I I don't think I've ever fully enjoyed a Zack Snyder movie because my brain yeah. is always fighting. The the uh, the images are great, but my brain is always well. What like how is that? You know what I mean? Like Batman versus Superman. He keeps going on. Oh, it's it's terrible that Batman is shooting and killing people. Right now, let me show you this in the now. Let me show you that in the coolest way possible. Yeah, with like guitar licks and 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 awesome sound. Like that that was that's my biggest issue with that entire movie is that. So again, what I'll say about that is, I think the Superman idea in that movie. Like the storyline with him is actually cool in concept. It makes sense to me. Cool. I'm fine with it. The Batman side of that movie, I hate. I <laughs> well, hate. It's like, you know dude, what I mean, right? So... If, if you're, no, no, no. If, I, yeah, if you're trying to frame it as this is, but why are you, why are you shooting it and like, scoring cool. it like that? Like what? Yeah. What are you oh. doing? <laughs> Well, he yeah. has to arrive. But he has to rise out of the pit like Bat Jesus, or you won't get it. Uh, so, yeah. but that, that's my that's my thing. Again, he's got a style. People like him. I'm not going to get into that whole toxic no, thing. He, no, no, no. It's, he's just not for me, right? And yeah. the, the funny thing is, with the slow motion, Brian, I haven't watched all of the Zack Snyder Justice League yet. I just think it's funny that there's so much slow motion in that. And then when you're doing the Flash, which parts I have seen, when you're doing that aesthetic, it's still the slow motion. He just adds lightning effects. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. the only difference. And I'm like, oh. this is so... I don't know. We'll, we'll get into it. I just think that it, people don't like the silliness of comic book movies, right? But when you go totally self-serious, that makes it even sillier. To oh, yeah. yeah. These are guys running around in their underwear. Don't you, you, When you try to make it super <laughs> serious and awesome... It, it just makes it even sillier. And so I just, I end up just laughing in spite of, you know, I don't, we'll talk about it some more, but. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and this is, and I think something that, I think something that this movie, do, and I think something that Aquaman does understand for the most part is like, it's silly to the point of like, they want you, I feel like they want you to laugh at a lot of this, just yeah, in the yeah, images and the costumes of like, they know how ridiculous, ridiculous it is and they're just they're leaning into a lot of that throughout it mm-hmm. and i and i like i like that for the most part in here it's like look and especially so this made a billion dollars when it came out and i think i see i can see why because it's completely different from anything else at this point it's just goofy it's it's fun and yeah it just it's it's not taking itself very seriously most of the time. Well, yeah. the scene that absolutely defines itself for me is when uh, uh, Arthur and his dad go to that bar, right? And they're having the conversation. Yeah. And then the bikers come up and they're like, hey, can we get a picture? And if 
again, the look on his face, it tells you, oh, here comes the Batman versus Superman reaction where he's going to get all mad and throw him out. But that's not mm-hmm. what happens. Like, it completely switches <laughs> on you, and he starts taking pictures, and they start getting drunk together, and it's, <laughs> it's really funny, and it yeah. disarmed me. I was like, oh, this is the kind of movie that this is. And from oh, yeah. that point on, I was like, oh, I love this. Like, this is great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it is and... completely aware of what it is, and it doesn't make apologies for it, which I think no. that some of the previous movies did. It's, oh, a, yeah. it's trying to be overly cool to kind of say, oh, this is, yeah, it's comic books, but look how cool we are. Like, isn't this cool? I'm like, <laughs> no, it's, yeah. you're making it sillier. I don't know. So I, the sil- yeah. how yeah. this movie the, leads the, into the, the silliness works for me. That's what makes it a, a, a great experience. Yeah, the silliness of, the silliness of, yeah, the silliness of that bar bit, it really is like, not only, not only is it silly in a good way, but it also it weirdly makes the world feel more real yeah. because you've got, yeah, like you've got all they're these interacting guys, with each other. They're yeah. interacting. Like he interact and here's something that he does the here's something that he does a lot. So the movie shows a lot in the action scenes where he's around other people. He goes out of his way to save people in this movie. Like, yeah. He, he cares about other human beings. He's not just fighting the bad guy all the time. Whoever dies over there, I don't care. They show you him going out of his way to save people in the middle of the destruction. He gets all the people off the submarine thing. He chill, he drinks and goes crazy with the dudes in the bar and takes <laughs> pictures. It's like, this is what a superhero would actually be like in he's, real life. People would be it. taking yeah. pics with them. He's they got a be- self-awareness uh, and a, a humor to himself. Like, a, you know what I mean? And so, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think Momoa is a very like you look at him you're like I can't like this guy right like he's like he's he's too big he's too buff but he's a really charismatic fun actor I think that yeah. it, mm-hmm. it's it, he, he, the way that he again what are you, he's the the himbo superhero right I mean he's yeah. Yeah. It, you're able to just walk and have a drink with them at a bar it's like that's great like that's what that's what we need where whereas the superman Oh. Uh, that we've seen it is like <laughs> an untouchable stay away from me we have to worship you I can't I can't like bond with you on any human level because you're so you're obviously a god, and I can't even yeah. be in your same presence without yeah. you blinding me with your brilliance. It, it's like oh, I don't and know. yeah, they they totally they completely they completely demystify Aquaman as a character. Like they don't they never do anything in this to make I mean, maybe a little bit at the end with like you're the king thing, but like most of they other than that they don't do anything to make him more than what he is. He's a he's just he's a bro. He's a buff yeah. dude who does his own thing, and he matures as the story goes on. But yeah, starting him in the place of I'm just a regular super buff guy who helps people is a great starting place for a superhero. Right. Well, just to tie it back to Brian, if we're talking about the action in this, right? And Brian, you said that the, you we. Like James Wan did this, like it, he shows us like a skill that we were unaware that he had, and so he leans yeah. into it and it works. Uh, if I have to, if I can give Man of Steel one real positive, the way that Snyder shot that movie in a way that the the superpowered beings felt genuinely superpowered, like if you watch it again, they're moving so fast that the camera seems like it's it's hustling to keep up to try and mm-hmm. keep them within the frame, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's very effective as far as the action goes. I think it kind of it it uh, plat toes during the, the uh, Smallville fight, and then it just becomes blunt and kind of deadening after that, but especially in that Smallville fight, when you're seeing them fight, it's like, whoa, I can really feel the punches and the impact, 
And mm -hmm. you know, what's with John Wu? I mean, are we are we kind of Brian? I hope we're not like um, getting too far off topic. But how is that? Is, is this kind of where you wanted to go with that? I I you know with I I've watched a number of Wu films over this past year in preparation for Silent Night and. You know, one of the things that I, and when I watched Silent Night, one of the things I really got to think about, and this this kind of goes back to a great uh, podcast that our, Darren, yours and mine, mutual friend, uh, Jason from Binge Movies did on Wu's work, yeah. is that there's a, there's a specific reason that he uses slow motion. It's not just to... It's not just to make the action look cool. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people didn't realize when they base when American filmmakers basically co-opted it to Amer to their films. And I think one of the things that I like about the way Juan uses it in this film, and look, I mean there there are moments, there are like individual moments that are very uh, painterly, like I, I love the, I love the beginning of the trench sequence. I, I, I think that is a beautiful James Wan sequence, and but it does also play off of that Snyder esque use of slow motion as creating visual, as creating moving paintings more than just. Uh, creating a dynamic action sequence, but I think there's enough action here. Whether you're talking about the beginning, whether you're talking about the seat, the uh, first fight between Arthur and Orm, and whether you're talking about the Italy sequence, that I think you do see oh, no, no, no. there's there's an approach to slow motion that Juan uses that does remind me of Wu in. His early work, and one of the things that I that frustrates me so much about some of the criticisms to go way off topic to some of the criticisms about Silent Night is that it feels like people are were anticipating one movie from Wu without really wanting to engage with the movie they made, yeah. and that frustrates me because of the fact that I think if you if you look at the film from the context of what he actually is trying to say in that movie, the slow motion used, serves a completely different purpose in there than it does in stuff like The Killer and Hard Boiled and Hard Target. And I, I think, but to bring it back to Aquaman, I, I think James Wan is one of the few filmmakers who really seems to get why slow motion can work in an action sequence beyond simply making it look cool. Well, the thing with Wu is that people, when people try to copy him, they copy the look of it without copying what he actually does. I don't know if that makes any yeah. sense. Mm -hmm. So it's kind yeah, of like when the born um, alt supremacy or yeah, when that one came and the, the way that the shaky cam, I think Greengrass uses the shaky cam very, very well. 
And yeah. it mm-hmm. just in that, because there's, yeah, it's, it's mimicking like, you know, what it's like to actually be in a fight or a chase, but he will, even though it's chaos, because that's what you're experiencing, right? Kind of a, you are there kind of thing. He will slow down and he will give you an establishing shot. He will film the characters in different colored clothing or different colored vehicles so that you're not confused. But later movies, when they try to do that, they don't take that into account. They copy the shaky cam aesthetic, but it becomes, it's chaos without any, clear you know clearness or, or whatever the word the clarity to it right yeah and it's the same thing with woo where it's just everybody dilutes it so then when people who haven't watched woo movies watch them after watching the dozens or countless of ripoffs they look at it and go oh this is no different but it's like oh but he wrote the language <laughs> that you're yeah. used to right and the thing mm-hmm. with the the action this yeah Zack snyder set the standard right and yeah. we can like or dislike his standard. What I liked about Wonder Woman is Patty Jenkins. The action, okay, oh, so the God. action across the whole, uh, until we get to maybe the Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey, the action across the, those first few DCU films, you can tell it's from the same universe. Yeah. Because in Wonder Woman, Jenkins does this thing, especially where she's, uh, you know, the Ger- the, uh, the Germans or No Man's Land where, where Diana yeah. attacks them, right? And it's shot the same way where it's ramped up, but then it'll slow down almost to the point where it does a freeze frame. It's, it's hard to explain, but that's the same aesthetic that Snyder uses. The only difference is Jenkins is using like Diana as a character in this. Diana is not actually killing. She's using like the blunt end of her sword. She's not actually stabbing people through, right? She's not killing these people. She's just beating them up. And there's a difference between that and and Batman and Superman just plowing through people, right? So these filmmakers are taking that aesthetic and they're just using it. So does that make sense? They're they're connecting it visually so they look like they're the same, but they're using it in a different way. So it's, it's their take using the same kind of visuals. I don't know. And Aquaman is the same thing. It, it There's um, the way that they use practical, especially in that Italy chase, which I, I watch yeah, over and over the, again because the of Italy, like, I think the yeah. Italy, the Italy chase in this, I think is the, the action highlight of the movie. Like I think the, the climax after that, where it's like the, the ending of it, I was like, this is, this is visually overstimulating to me on so many levels at the end of it, but the Italy chase, that's the apex of the action for yeah, me. Absolutely. It's like, this is the, this is the best bit in the movie. Cause it, it's, it's using all, it's using the slow motion appropriately. The there's, there's neat little touches that they use, like him, him like hitting that, uh, the bell that almost falls yeah. on the girl, how he like tackles it out of the way. Oh, like, yeah. so fun. Like fun, fun yeah. little touches. Yeah. Like and that. even, and even like probably, probably my favorite shot in that sequence is, uh, when, when Mira is Mira uses her water powers to like blast all of the Atlanteans <laughs> yeah. red wine. Yeah, spikes. fun. It's like fun. Yeah. when, like when I, like when I, I, I just said out loud when I was watching that. Oh man, I wanted white wine. Well, the, the guy, the guy that like she breaks his helmet and he sees the toilet. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's so, so funny. It's, it's, that's completely a one. T- I, I think that's yeah. the kind of thing that that Snyder will shy away from. Yeah. And again, yeah. I, that's the difference when Snyder Bros watch something like this. I think that they don't like it because it's not the same. But again, they're just, they're just using the same aesthetic, but they're using it in their own way to make their own. St- and I and Snyder's, mm-hmm. from what I understand, he's very supportive. Like he's there. Yeah. Like he, he cracked oh, yeah. the story for Wonder Woman. Like he's there helping out. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? He, and so he gives it. He did what what I seem to notice is like 
he seems to understand that other filmmakers want to do things their way and he lets them yeah. do that. So like if they're using his aesthetic little ticks and his way of shooting action or the types of ideas that he likes to put in and they're putting the filmmakers are putting their own spins on them. So it doesn't feel like, Oh, we have to do it his way. Like, no, 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 this is a James Wan movie. And I'm sure right. he, he adds something <laughs> to it, but like, but yeah, I like that. I like the way that James Wan handles a lot of the, mm. the hand to hand stuff in here, or like the, the on land action where it's just like one guy versus one guy. It's like, yeah, it, it feels tactile. It, when I, when yeah. things get destroyed or people get pushed into walls, I feel it. And even, and even when it like, even when there are a few moments where it feels like I'm watching an injustice cutscene where like the camera will pan back and you see the two fighters on both sides of the screen, it's still like, I'm still invested in those two guys and why they're fighting each other. Yeah, I, I mean, you you talk about the impact. You can feel it, but you can also feel the impact of that part in Batman v Superman, where the well, terrorist is holding Lois Lane and Superman. What is he? He, oh, no, he pushes oh, that at, guy through like I, eight I, walls. I laugh at that. <laughs> I, I laugh at that scene every time. Every time I see it, I laugh at that scene because it's like, yeah, that dude's dead. Like, it's yeah. probably good that it's probably good that he's dead because terrorist, but he's dead. Yeah, that's mm. not. I don't. I don't know. We, we we don't have to get into it, but that's just no, not. No, no, that's no. not Superman. It, it, I don't. Yeah. No. Back on, but but to get sorry to get back on this movie. So the other things I so other things that I do appreciate about this is that I like the. I think it's an interesting idea that like he's. I like the idea of of Arthur being somebody who doesn't know how things work sort of like he all right i'm mixed on the idea of he will be a good king because he's not from it he'll unite both worlds and i'm kind of like you don't know how to rule though like mm -hmm. i don't it, it's a problem with the care with how it's done I'm like i i don't know how he'll be a good king here because i mean i don't want orm to rule either because he's going to just start a war with everyone but Arthur isn't trained. He's not aware of the customs at all. Right. So it's, a little, it's a little bit of a, it's a big stretch for me that all the Atlanteans are like, yes, he is the son of Queen Atlanta. Therefore, he shall be king with no formal training. It's like, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, Atlantis is going to tank. Yeah. Here's, here's the thing is I think you see that during, that's the point of the movie. You see yeah. that play out like his first fight with Orm. It's like you don't know, like you're you're good on land. You're not like you don't know how it works. That's why he loses. Yeah. So here here's the thing. So here's the difference between this movie and Wonder Woman and Birds of Prey and uh, the Suicide Squad. All the ones that I like versus like mm -hmm. Batman versus Superman and Man of Steel. Okay. Yeah. What they do, I get what they're doing. They're trying to take these heroes and they're trying to subvert them. We're trying to get like uh, you know. Take a different look at him. Oh, here, let's spin it and see what it's like in the real world, that kind of thing, okay? Mm -hmm. you, yeah. you watch Man of Steel, you watch Batman versus Superman. What they're doing, and my brain, I'm sorry, it doesn't work this way. It's the same thing with the 89 Batman and, and Batman Returns to an extent, is you're giving me a character I'm, that I'm already aware of. Like, you expect me to know this character from the comic books, okay? Like, mm -hmm. they, when you watch Man mm -hmm. of Steel, yeah, it's trying to give you this is the real world, but... 
I don't understand where this Superman is coming from. I can't get a beat on him because you're starting from a place where it's like, okay, here's what you already know. This is how we're going to subvert. But I'm, and my brain is like, but I don't know this Superman. Yeah. I know the Superman you're talking about, but what you're doing is, yeah. I have no idea how to grok onto this character. You're already subverting it before I have any idea who this person is. And I'm sorry, but my brain doesn't work like that. Okay, I need to, and that's why the Nolan films were kind of a mind opener for me because I understood Bruce Wayne in a way that I hadn't before. I understood his pain. I understood the 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 knife edge that he's walking. I just watched Batman Begins in awe because I felt it. Batman Begins works better as a drama than as an action movie. Because I agree. I, that, that I completely was, yeah. feel where he's, and that's the difference, okay? So when you take Batman versus Superman and Batman is introduced as a guy who's already killing and it's like, well, it's a twist on the real, but I'm like, but that's yeah. another Batman. That's yeah. not this bat. I have no idea who this Batman is. You're you're already taking him and subverting him. The the Dark Knight Returns aesthetic that Snyder likes so much that is an Elseworlds it's story. A, it's a, it's also like that's again. I, I don't. I haven't read that comic, but I know what its intent was. The intent of the Dark Knight Returns is to satirize these two guys. These aren't supposed to be like the normal ones. This is them after years. This is supposed to be like, yeah. what if we took their normal like ideals and push them to the darkest extremes you have to present me with versions of these guys that are normal and then you can push them to that over time you can't present me with oh yeah this is just who he is it's like <laughs> no how how did he get there how did he get to end I mean, so with yeah it's weird it's like don't you can't do that but but here's the thing though i mean i i agree with you both but here here's the thing though let's 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 remember why we ended up getting where we did so quickly. It was just because of it was solely because of the fact that DC was trying to catch up to Marvel. Exactly. They wanted to get yeah. to Justice League as quickly as they could and yeah. they skipped some beats. A <laughs> true introduction of Batman to the Snyderverse shouldn't have been that. <laughs> no. Yeah. no because you're you're if you're taking steps like step a step b step c to get a character where they're going like you have to, with me you have to start at step a i have to understand them from the ground up you can't just go okay here's step g it's like wait what 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 like i, I can't like <laughs> yeah. i'm like i hold on i can't keep up right and the thing is like you compare like them brian trying to keep up with uh and i'm trying to get to a point here but you compare it to the mcu civil war and batman versus superman share a lot of similarities story-wise there's a lot yeah. of logic leaps there's a lot of characters acting stupid just to get to a point they're, they're yeah. trying to make the difference right. is like the first of all there's the tone the second by the time you get to civil war and they introduce the accords right we know exactly what where how how every character is going to side because we've had six or seven movies with each of them that we know who they are from the inside out right? yeah when you yeah. have batman versus superman i have it's the same thing but it's like i have no idea who you are so i don't know why you're taking this stance you know what i mean it, oh you're mm -hmm. taking it because it's the anti-batman from the comics it's like great but you're, you're again you're starting with step g i just i i i can't do that it just doesn't work for me right so yeah and that's what Snyder was trying to do. He was trying to get them to that point. But again, that's the thing that I fundamentally disagree with is I don't know those characters enough for you to subvert them. Okay. 
And then by mm-hmm. the time the difference is with this movie, just to get back to my point, is you see that he doesn't care. Arthur doesn't care. He he doesn't want anything to do with it. It just gets more and more personal to the point where, okay, I have to step in and he's gradually reintroduced. He fights Orm, but he's not ready to fight him. He has to go and learn other stuff. The thing that I love about this movie is when you see him fight Black Manta for the first time, which holy crap. That's oh yeah, the, the screen accurate, that. like the 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 when he shows up in in oh. Italy in that costume, I'm like, holy crap! Oh, yeah. It's like he stepped That's right a, out of the comet, right? I, I I laugh in joy whenever I see that. Like you get the <laughs> giant great. bug. Like it's like it's, it's great. Like the, yeah. It's like the it's like somebody took the design of the fly suit from 1950 <laughs> and said, let's metalize yeah. this on right. a person. <laughs> so it's and great. I love right? it. <laughs> but here's here's the arc of Aquaman. Is the first scene where where he meets um the you know, uh, Black Manta and his father, right? Arthur's yeah. attitude is punch everything. So he yeah. punches like he he kills the dad or hurts the dad so much, and then the dad has to kill himself. So so now Black Manta has this whole vendetta against Aquaman, and it starts this whole thing where it comes it comes to a point in Italy where now Black Manta has found him, now he's hurt him, and so what Arthur realizes over the point of this movie, and this is why I think is makes it's a beautiful experience, is he becomes the hero that just realizes he doesn't have to punch everything, okay? Yeah. So you had yeah. the Italy part, which is great. And then, uh, yeah, you get to the bombast of that giant battle. I don't understand who's fighting who or why everybody's trying to yeah, kill each other. But it comes down to the point, though, where Arthur again fights Orm in his own element. And, again, he's fighting him, but he gets he, – if he doesn't, he can't just walk in and say, Orm, we need to talk because Orm's just fight, fight, fight. And so he has to get him to a point where he disarms him, right? And then, because Orm's whole arc is, oh, it's the human world messing with my world that killed my mom, and so that's why I have this vendetta. When Atlanta shows up, Orm's whole world is just completely shattered because his whole mm-hmm. vengeance has been for nothing because his mom is alive, right? And the humans did. There was a kind of a, a, a bridge there. But what happens is that Arthur realizes, and again, it comes down when, he, when he's fighting the, uh, I can't remember the name of the monster that uh, uh, Julie Andrews plays. Uh, the the Carathon, right? Is that sure. what it is? I, I, don't, I don't know. Anyway, but anyway, he so he is he goes to face her, but instead of fighting her, he talks to her, and she's like, "Oh, you can understand me." Everybody comes down here and they try to beat me up or try to kill me. You're talking to me, and you're trying to reach me on my level. And yeah. so when he goes and faces Orm, he says, "We need to talk. Like, let's talk." Yeah, about at the at the right? end of it. Yeah, and I. So, that's something. Oh, sorry. I yeah. No, no, no. It it brings it all back again. I love <laughs> that arc, as opposed to like again. I, I'm sorry to keep bringing it up. Where Man of Steel, where where Kal El is the same in frame one that he is in the last frame of the movie. There's no arc, and it's why it kind of makes that movie kind of dull. Is like there's no ebbs and flows, right? Well, and I would and I would say like the the thing with yeah, I would say like the I. As we get more and more of these things and more and more of them are like, we have to solve everything by punching. I find that I really, really like, I really like the superhero movies where the heroes at least attempt to talk down their villains. And so Arthur trying, Arthur going from this guy who punches everything to someone who realizes, look, because I didn't, because I didn't try to talk to this guy or show him mercy, now his son is out to kill me. I've made an enemy. I need to talk. I need to try to talk to Orm to reach him on a human level so I don't make another one. And yep. probably my favorite, probably my favorite moment with them comes 
in like their in the ring of fire battle sequence before they start talking where they're talking to each other and he's like you know all my life i've won all my life i've wanted to know what my brother was like you know it's too bad he turned out to be such a dick but it's like <laughs> this but again like even the, it, it, it's probably made a jokey line but like i feel like jason momoa delivers that sincerely where it's like yeah as ridiculous as patrick wilson looks in any single frame of this movie there are moments where the two of them are together where it's like, wow, they, they're trying to humanize these guys, even though the movie, and I think the movie lets Orm down in that department. I think by the he kind of, he gets more into traditional evil, bad dude as it goes on. But I think that he's still human. I still feel like he believes in his point of view. And I want to see where their relationship goes in the next one. Because right. I think yeah. that, and then also like, this, I think Black Manta, how he's handled in here, I think he's the most interesting person in the movie because I really get him. Like I really understand why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. Well, that's that's the difference. That's what I'm talking about. It's like I know it doesn't matter to me if Arthur is is cartoon or, or comic book accurate. At the end of this movie, I know who he is. Like I know, and yeah. Momoa brings it sincerity. Yeah. Right? I don't know who who Batman and Superman are <laughs> by the end of their of Batman versus Superman. I don't know who they are because they're still just um, stand-ins for some kind of statement that's being made. But, but Arthur again, and, and Momoa brings a, a lot of that. He humanizes him where I like him. I, I want to hang out with him, and he is fun, right? Yeah. But it, the sincerity is. The sincerity is really what I love about this. The whole movie mm-hmm. comes down. You know how Atlanta says goodbye. Um, uh, what's what's uh, tomorrow? Marison's uh, Tom. Uh, Tom. Tom. Yeah. He says he has to say goodbye to him. She says goodbye to him, right? And I love the idea that every night at sunset, because she told him that's what he goes out onto the pier to be, and that's just what he does. And Arthur knows yeah. that's what he does, and that's mm-hmm. how they meet them. And the whole thing at the very end. It comes down to he goes out again. You see the look on Tom's face; it's just another day. But then Atlanta is there, and they run to each other and they hold each other. It's like this sincerity here. This movie wears its heart on its sleeve, and it's yeah, mm-hmm. it's corny and it's silly, but that's that's comic books. I'm sorry, that's comic books. Well, yeah, it, it's silly I, and this... it's overblown, but it, it's well, there's a sincerity and a loveliness to that, and I. It, yeah, like I, I said, it's corny, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Well, and then the other thing about that, and the other thing that this, another thing kind of connecting to that is, so some of the, one of the flashbacks that we see to Arthur being trained by Volko when he's like, when he's a kid, when Volko yeah. takes him, when Volko takes him underwater and he realizes he can talk underwater for the first time, just, and I'm, I say this a lot, like a lot of superhero movies I like have this, they have this sense of like, they have this sense of awe, this sense of joy about having, about a character discovering he or she can do this. Like that kid just float, flying through the water, jumping up with the dolphins, yelling woohoo. It's like, yeah, no, this is what I like. I love scenes like this where we're seeing them have that elation of having powers. And yeah, it's goofy and it's ridiculous, but it's like, that's how you would attach me to them because I can then imagine, yeah. wouldn't it be cool if I had that? Superheroes mm-hmm. are like, superheroes are fa- are power fantasies and things like that. It's like, yeah, I, I love the way- when movies do that. Show the kid having joy at what they can yeah. do. 
instead no, of it absolutely. being like a burden. <laughs> instead, or, no, yeah. Abs- or what if Michael Keaton gets joy sitting there in his dark uh, in his dark chair castle waiting for the bad signal atop his house to light up? What's his joy? <laughs> ab- no, ab- absolutely. I mean, I the the tone is exactly right in this movie. And I going back to John Wu, one of the things that is so unique about his best films is the way that he uses melodrama, the way he enhances his movies through telling them through melodrama as opposed to trying to make them sober and just incredibly dark films. And I, because there's a, because by having it melodramatic, you can emphasize emotions in ways that serious drama would make it very difficult to do. And I think that's one of the things that Juan gets so right in this film. And um, it's absolutely about the sincerity. And you were talking about uh, teenager Arthur's joy about learning all these powers. I, I think, you know, it's, he, he gets, that actor gets a lot of crap for that one line that's line. been <laughs> whatever. And it's that, a, it's that a funny line. Are you saying they executed her? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, yeah. But here's <laughs> the thing. Okay. Here, here, here's the thing, though. It's like mm-hmm. the reason, one of the reasons I, I am very much on the side of not being a fan of the fan mess. And this is going somewhere. <laughs> and part of that okay. is because of the fact that Jake Lloyd's performance is Anakin. Yes, he's playing Anakin as a kid. The problem is I don't think the tone of that performance is consistent with the rest of the movie. And okay. say what you will about that kid, the kid who plays young Arthur in this, his his performance is in keeping with the movie where when he's excited about learning all these new new powers, he's already aware of the fact that he is different from other people. So he's learning about these new things that he is capable of, and that's where the excitement comes from. It's very genuine. And when Anakin is saying yippee and all that stuff in <laughs> fan mess, I don't oh my buy it because... No, there's. It, it, I don't feel like anything's earned that. No, and like, and again, like, so again, with the the even younger version of him, I really like the scene in the. I really like the scene where it's like him on a school field trip, and yeah. the like the kids are like, "Look at Arthur is talking to the fish." I'm like, yeah, but yeah, like that that bit where, and as much as the shark looks like a thing that the Sci-Fi Channel lent them, I think that the feeling of that scene of like him realizing that he has the ability to talk to fish telepathically and other people's reaction to him doing this. It's like, again, it, it adds to that sense of, of this joy and being like, this is, you know, this is just a person discovering what they can do. And I mean, yeah, I just, yeah, I just, I just really like all the all the little character stuff in this movie. I wish there was a little bit yeah. more. I wish there was a little bit more of it because I think as great as the action is, I think sometimes it goes a little bit too nuts. 
with the visual aspect of it to where it's like, I don't know, it, it goes into overstimulation occasionally. Yeah. And then as good as the slow-mo is, I noticed that he kept doing the same kind of shot of camera swerves right or left and then punch through the thing. It's like the, it, it, I feel like they set it up similarly in a lot of the action scenes. So it looks beautiful, but it's like, all right, I, I've seen it. They, they did this shot setup with a lot of these, with a lot of these things. And yeah. so it's like, okay, is this your big, is this your biggest trick? Cause it, yeah, it looks cool, but I'd like to see a little bit more variation in how you're doing the shots of the action here. Just a, just a little bit, just to, just to switch it up. Yeah. Well, the I, I like I said, I wouldn't trade the sincerity of this movie for the world. Oh no. Um, and my one, my my biggest complaint, yeah, is it, it is there's a bit of a too muchness, and what what yeah. that comes down for me, there's I think there's at least five times this happens, where oh. characters will be talking, and oh, all and about, and then all of a sudden, bam, there's an explosion, and then there's an action. Oh yeah. Scene. Oh yeah. I, I, it, I, the I first time that, it my... happens. Is, is on the submarine, I think, where, where Black Band and his dad are talking, and then there's a, that submarine gets hit, which is kind of a minimalized version of it. But then yeah. you see later where, you know, what is it? Like later when the... Um, when Volko, when Volko, yeah. Volko is telling them about the Trident thing. Underneath, and, then, and bam. They're, they're talking, bam, there's an explosion. Yeah. Or later when uh, Mira and Arthur are up in Italy and they're talking, and bam, there's an explosion. Yeah. It keeps happening like again and I'm like, okay, like <laughs> once or twice is fine. Like, and but like, like, I feel like I feel like it's meant to be like a joke at some point. Like you, I feel like it's either somebody doesn't realize they're double dipping, or James Wan <laughs> wants us to laugh at how many times in one movie can. I mean, it would to it would be appropriate if if an explosion <laughs> happened during our conversation at some random moment to right. emphasize it. Like, well, yeah. what what they're doing is you're they're leaning into what comic they think comic books are, right? Like you look at. Um, Brana and Thor, you look at Schumacher's movies where they, for some reason, they think comic books are all Dutch angles. Yeah. So that, so that's how they shoot their movies. You know what I mean? Christopher yeah. Nolan even has during the behind the scenes stuff for Batman Begins. He goes, he's talking about the sub, the train sequence at the end, and he says, well, at the end of comic, for you know, he's trying to subvert the whole idea of and trying to make it a drama instead of a comic book movie, which I think he does brilliantly in Begins. But then when he talks about the train at the end, he says, well, all comic book movies have to end with a big bombastic. And I'm like, no, Chris, they don't. No, no they don't. <laughs> and no, so they don't. when he did The Dark Knight. He does this subverting thing where the whole movie, Joker literally says, you didn't think that this whole thing was going to come down to a fistfight between you and me, did you? And I cheered yeah. at that uh, point because the whole emotional crux of the Dark Knight is when Harvey and Commissioner Gordon and Batman are talking about the implications and the consequences of the actions that they took. And that set the whole movie in motion, right? So cool. the Dark Knight ends with them talking, which is great. And that it subverts and that. Yeah, and what and what this movie does, sorry, Kevin, what, what this movie does is it's the same thing as The Dark Knight where it subverts it and it's Arthur saying, no, let's stop fighting, let's talk. But it does it in a way that's comic booky and larger than life. The first time that I watched this on a big screen, when we watched this on the big screen, like I think opening weekend, there are at least a dozen times when I turned to my wife and said, this has to be the most expensive movie ever made. <laughs> because some <laughs> of the shots were so... Not just gorgeous, oh, but yeah. so huge on oh, the screen. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is giant, right? But yeah. I guess the point that I'm making is, yeah, it's a comic book, but you don't always have to 
you know, to, to bow to the comic book aesthetic. You can do something else with it. You can do something different. You don't have to sacrifice narrative or good sense just because it's a comic book movie. Well, so and that's, that's the thing I wish it would step back on. Yeah, and that's the thing. And again, like The Dark Knight, I love that you, I love that you use, that you bring that up because I think that the, so for a long time, I, for a long time, something that I ding The Dark Knight on was the whole, like, the whole Joker ship thing because it feels the most traditional part of it. I'm always like, okay, whatever, do the ship thing. Writing gets really cheesy right here for me. And then I did realize when I got older, the actual climax is the three of them talking. And a lot of that movie is people talking. And in yeah. this and in this movie, in Aquaman, the scenes that I like most, it's not the action stuff. The action is very good, but the stuff that I like most is when characters are just talking. Like, I, I like this bit where Arthur and Mira are walking around Rome together, Italy together, and they've got that song playing where she's just looking at land people and realizing that, you know, they're just, they're, they're fine. And she just makes a little water dolphin thing out of yeah. for the kid. Like, I, the thing, like I, I feel like this has to be because of this. So many of these are so big and so explosive all the time. I cherish these things where they're just walking around and being regular people. And I rem- I'm reminded that's why I connect to these guys because they're just human beings who can hit, yeah. really, who can hit really well when they need to. But I, I want to care about what they're actually, they're, what they're doing, who they are as people. I know who not, everyone is as yeah. people in here. They're not action figures. They're not no. just here's here's mm-hmm. I'm just gonna bang these guys into each other. There's there's that sincerity, right? Yeah. Sorry, this is a bit of a tangent, but Kevin, you were saying, you know that part where they're walking around and they're she blows like the water and stuff. That yeah. that's that scene has been done countless times before and countless oh, yeah. times after, where even Elemental that came out this year has that same scene. Oh, oh yeah, it's <laughs> where oh, it's no, two it's characters all... walking around to a song. <laughs> I know. I, well, I know. I know. But I, I know. But, I know but that it's it's I, it's part yeah. of the language of of films and stories where you need that. You need to see people bonding and well, like appreciating each other. And that's the thing. Yeah. Like, and they get, the other aspect that I would flaw is, I don't think that I don't think that Jason Momoa and Amber Heard have chemistry with each other at all. So I don't I don't buy the I don't buy the romance between them, but I do buy a relationship between them. I buy mm-hmm. her I buy her learning from him that the surface is fine or it can be. Like she's got a little mini arc of going, I hate the surface and everyone on it and realizing that that viewpoint is wrong. And yeah. so like I think that's what salvages it because I think some of her line deliveries are really quite bad and yeah. their yeah. chemistry doesn't exist to me. But the, what does exist is I buy that they learn from each other and can connect yeah. on that level, not romantically, but it's like, oh, we teach each other things. Well, that that's is part of it, right? It's just you have to do that. <laughs> and The romance know. is terrible in here. It's like, yes, Arthur, but- please come back. <laughs> but the thing is, it's like that—that that is an excellent point, and that you do feel, even if you don't necessarily buy the romance, you believe that relationship is forming between these two. And and the the thing is, I love the give and take that you point you uh, point towards Kevin, where the idea that you know Mara is st- starting to realize that 
not everything on the surface is as bad as she's heard. And for Arthur, he's realizing that there's some there's some good in the Atlantans. It's not just because he's been holding on to grudges because he feels he he lost his mother and he thinks for a good part of the movie that she's dead. Um, thematically, I, I do love this movie because of the fact that so much of it is about fathers and sons. I mean, it's a very mm-hmm. familiar trope in comic book movies, but I feel like here there's so many different varieties of fathers and son relationships that we're seeing that I I think it makes it really, really interesting to see those play out as the film goes on. Well, you're also looking at the, as Orm is a character, he's suffering from the same thing. His mom, he thinks his mom is dead because the surface world and the ocean world couldn't exist. So again, very subtle, very good writing that you see that there's a counterpoint. Arthur's dealing with it in his way. Orm is dealing with it in his way. Obviously, they're they're stepbrothers or, you know, whatever. And so they're they're dealing with their pain in different ways. Arthur is ignoring it. He doesn't Mm -hmm. want anything to do with it. And Orm is going full on, I need to get... I'm going to get revenge on on the surface level and wage a war because it's I'm just so pissed off that it did this to yeah. me. So again, very good it, it there's some purposeful writing in there and I think that's that's very good kind of counterpoint. Going back to Amber Heard, I, I just want to ask I, I don't think she's a terrible actress but I, I and I'm not trying to side do the whole Johnny Depp or Amber Heard. Kind no, of no, no, no. But 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 do you guys think that cuz I've always thought that she was just kind of a cold actress like she's she's beautiful to look at and she, and she's got a very uh, a screen presence but she's kind of cold and standoffish it feels like do you I, is it part of her I, acting that makes it that way for you guys i think i think the way i think part of it is i've seen her in a couple of other movies besides this like i've seen her in the well the pineapple express and then what was the other one that she was in uh the that liam hemsworth cell phone movie uh paranoia or something and yeah, I think I think that just as an actress, she has a very cold presence to her on screen. Like I, I can't attach myself to her in anything. And I think in the beginning of this movie, when she's supposed to be cold to him, like presence-wise, not like delivery, but presence-wise, I think that works fine. And she seems to get better as this goes on on i guess but yeah i think i think one reason why she's never become a huge huge star is because of that i think she has kind of a she has there's always kind of a distance between me as a viewer and her as a performer in the characters that she plays and how she plays them right well i i I can definitely yeah i i can i can definitely see where you're coming from there I mean, you know, I guess she's, you know, I mean, I first remember seeing her in that uh, Nicolas Cage movie, Drive Crazy. That was the first time I remember seeing her. Um, oh, drive, drive Angry, was it? Yeah. A... Drive Angry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Drive and, something. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a fine movie, but, yeah. um, you know, I, I guess she's also been the Danish girl, which, Grant, I've never, I don't think I've ever saw that one, uh, or I think I did. I just barely remember it. Um, mm-hmm. Friday Night Lights, which I haven't seen in ages. 
um, Pineapple Express. There, and yeah, I mean there there are other things, but uh, yeah, I mean I don't think she's. I I don't I think there are moments here, especially in Italy with Momoa, where she's really good. Mm-hmm. I I think she I I think she she gives us something interesting. I think she gives us a decent performance in Esmera in in those moments, but I do also think there are. Uh, I, I do think she's a very rough actress in terms of her performances. Like the the first time we see her in this movie, I I think is not that Ooh, it's, is not that great. It's, I think it's, it's hard. I think it. Oh, that I was I was cringing through that first scene with her together. I was like. Oh, don't. We got to fix this up right now. You're you're going back to the yeah. I get all that, and I get I uh, Kevin. I agree with you on the wrong. Like they have chemistry; they're good together. Especially the part where they find like the message from the the planning uh, yeah, king. Yeah, and he's like, "Do yeah, you remember it?" Like the, I I memorized it. Did you? Like yeah, I did. Like, well, what did you? What, <laughs> yeah. did, what did he say? He goes, "Well, something, something tried it." I think they got good <laughs> yeah. chemistry there. But writing wise, he softens her. She softens to him, and he becomes yeah. more responsible because. And so they meet in the middle. So again. Good, good writing. I think it, it doesn't. Yeah. It pulls it off enough that I that I believe, like you said, in their relationship. Even though they don't have romantic yeah. chemistry so much, no. I do like. I do appreciate that they like each other. But again, there's just some it's <laughs> interesting, like little writing touches, little grace notes in here that that really make it work. The, I think the difference is, and people complain about Gal Gadot not being a great actress, but I think she's. I think she's great. I think she really yeah. sells the emotional stuff. I, I just think that with Amber Heard, she doesn't get the humanizing moments. Yeah, there's the part where they're, mm-hmm. you know, the montage where they're getting to know each other. Yeah, no, but she but doesn't. She, she doesn't have a moment in what like Gal Gadot has in Wonder Woman. She's like, oh, a baby, or when she eats that, where it humanizes her, and she's just. The thing that makes that Wonder Woman character great is she's not just a kick-ass warrior queen. She's also yeah. a woman. She's, yeah. she's maternal. She's everything. That every, you know, men or women don't have to be just a certain thing. They can be yeah. everything, right? And what makes uh, her performance? And again, it's hard to not have chemistry with Chris Pine. Oh, I yeah. just think that this, the scene on <laughs> the the scene on the boat where she, where they're talking about how they're going to sleep, and he's like, "You don't have to sleep." Well, I don't sleep with people because they're not married. It's like, "Well, yeah. do you want to?" And she's she's like, "I don't know. You don't have to. It's up to you." They have a really good, and they're good in that. Yeah. That's hard to do. Yeah, they have a romantic, I think, comedy, they're, romantic yeah, they're, comedy chemistry. They're, they're great, and they're great in that. And even like, and yeah, like that. And I think, and I think, I never realized it, but I think you're right. Like that's what and that's what Mira is missing as a character in here. Is that she has a she has a little arc in here. But we never get a moment with her where she let. We don't get a, a moment where she truly lets her guard all the way down, and we just see like the regular person there. And every other character in the movie, I think, gets a moment like that. And not giving her one was a mistake. Yeah. Well, I think well, I mean, they, there's enough stuff in there. It's just not a, a complete, anything that completely stand out. No, and, I, that, and that's the thing. Yeah, she's. I think a big problem with her characters, um, so much of her writing is expositional, right? Yeah. I mean, we're she's the one basically giving people information that they need in that moment, and so that if you're 
if your primary purpose is exposition in a movie, it's very hard to build a character out of that. And I think that's what makes the moments like when they're in the desert and they find they they find what they're looking for for the trident and when they're in Italy that's that's what makes those moments stand out so much and so well is because it feels like the first time the times were really starting to get to see her as a character and how she is forming a relationship with Arthur that has nothing to do with just telling him what needs to happen. Yeah, I, I can de- I can definitely see that. It's kind of a yeah, I think that out of everybody in here, there's a lot of exposition dialogue given to people in here. I think she probably has it th- she and Willem Dafoe have it the worst in that regard. Yeah. Because Willem Dafoe is here purely to deliver Arthur, I need you to go here and get this and kill that man over there. It's like, okay, oh my god, like the, it's every scene with them is just him telling him about his powers or telling him to go somewhere or telling him a bit of lore yeah. and history. It's like there. I mean, see, so yeah, as much as I may say that Amber Heard isn't like the the greatest, she has more character in this movie than Willem Dafoe does. Yeah, by a country mile. Well, here's, yeah, that's, so the two weaknesses of this is there's a too muchness to it. And again, when we say too muchness, I'm not including the drum playing octopus in that. Oh, that's, no, no. That's, that's just great. Really... <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's, that's Oh, my gosh. That's, that's, yeah. that, that's inspired. And I'm I love like, that. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's just fully filmmaking right there. <laughs> right there, right. So that, there's a too muchness to it. And yeah, there's, again, it goes back to the comic booky thing. It's like there's, you've got, there's exposition. Comic books always have exposition. It's just, yeah. A lot of it, and I think the thing is, it's like when someone described it as a song. When the music in a song doesn't work for you, you start noticing the lyrics. So your brain starts to go to, and then when the lyrics don't work, then you're like, oh, this is a bad song, right? I think kind of going along with that, there's so much exposition that's kind of dry. So when there's an explosion that interrupts it, and it happens again and again, you know, you're more aware of it because you were bored by the exposition. And then when there's an explosion, you're like, hold on a second. Haven't I seen this like four or five times before? I, I had that so exact makes you more reaction aware. watching. I had that exact reaction watching this tonight where I was like, oh, like my brain was really like, wow, people are talking about plot things. Shouldn't something explode in about three seconds? Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> right. But that's the it's the difference here. But, and again, I know you guys maybe have a different opinion, but the reason that uh, The Suicide Squad is probably my favorite DCEU stuff mm-hmm. is everything that we complain about, I think that one does it in a way. So again, we're talking about exposition. James Gunn has in a way where you've got a giant shark You've got a guy that shoots polka dots. You know, you've got yeah. all these different characters. And there's exposition as heavy as anything in any other movie. But because there's so much craziness going on and so much silliness, it kind of, that exposition plays into it. As opposed to something like this where the action and the camera work just stops so we can see these yeah. people just talk. And there's, it's just, and there's no, they don't really bring a lot of personality to those exposition no. scenes. And I think that's the difference. Yeah, and and I need to I need to rewatch this the Suicide Squad because I think when I saw it, when I watched it, I I think like you guys are saying with the silent with the criticisms of Silent Night, which I haven't seen that yet. I, I plan to, but like 
I think I went into The Suicide Squad expecting it to be a certain kind of movie. And when it wasn't that, I might have I might have reacted. I think my brain was like, wait, this doesn't work. And so yeah, I, I need to give that another shot. My and I will say my favorite bit in that is a little character bit where we learn the backstory for Ratcatcher 2. I like that. <laughs> I like that little moment right there. I was like, oh, man, damn it, James. You got one moment in here. And then Harley Quinn talking to the, the dead dictator on the floor. I like that. The, like, the little quieter things stuck out. I need to give it another shot. I was in a, I was in a bad state. Or maybe, <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you guys have this. Bit, yeah, but, I don't know if you okay. guys have this as part of your, like, um, how you watch movies. But I try to watch movies at least twice before I can nail down what I really think about them. So if I hate a yeah, movie, I'll be that. like, well, was it my mood? I don't know. Maybe I should go back and watch it. And, yeah, like, Batman versus Superman gets worse every time I watch it. So <laughs> oh, I, it's, just, it's just those oh. things where, you know, you need to watch it at least a couple times to really get a good sense of what's oh. happening. I mean, I guess, like, I tend to watch – I watch almost everything a few times. Like, I like to go back and rewatch things generally just to see, like – Okay, what did I miss, or what little details, or little jokes, or or bits, or whatnot? And again, I've gone back and rewatched pretty much all of the DC EU stuff except for the Suicide Squad at this point to notice things and appreciate things and laugh hysterically at things that go on in some of them. And rewatching this one, uh, I think while the bombastic action of it kind of it sometimes drowns out the character stuff that's working really well. I yeah. do like the yeah, like the action in this. It it drowns out the stuff that really works for me in here by the end of it. But the ride getting to that end, I think I think is good. I think that I like you know the talking stuff. I like the sense of wonder. I like that it's able to be. I like that it's willing to be this weird. I like that Patrick Wilson wears a weird an odd little helmet well he's got that spiky headed helmet thing and one of the battles that i just laugh at because it's so goofy looking on him oh yeah and also and also and the other thing about this so in terms of this casting so aquaman in the comics is basically patrick wilson how he looks in this movie <laughs> and you know like jason i like the fact that the jason momoa in terms of the whole, like, this universe is about, like, subverting heroes that we know. I think that this, I like that Jason Momoa, just visually, just how he looks, is not at all what most people think of when they think of Aquaman. Right. And so having Patrick Wilson in there as, like, this is what Aquaman, they probably would if they had made this, like, 15 years ago, they probably would have cast somebody who liked him. They wouldn't have cast Jason Momoa in it. But I think it's just interesting that they are, the whole thing of conversions is at play here in casting Jason Momoa and the writing for him being so good and watching him grow and mature into the Aquaman that people are more familiar with if they've read the comics or seen the, car, or the Justice League cartoons or this or that. Like he's growing, he's growing into that character as this goes on. Yeah. Well, it, it all comes down to, uh, well, 
Maybe that doesn't make sense. Snyder, because he cast everybody, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I, I, he saw something in Momoa that just genuinely works. I think, like I said, Cable has it in him to be a great Superman, but the writing oh, yeah. kind of straitjackets him. So there's no... Yeah. And, the, you know, the thing with, um, you know, the Superman of, of uh, Man of Steel and the Superman of uh, Richard Johnner's films is, yeah, it's it kind of has the same approach. Like, you need to... It, it doesn't... So in the Christopher Reeve one, like, he just is Superman. We, he, we don't see him learning his powers. We don't see... We see where he comes from, all these things. But it's kind of the same thing where it's just, oh, this is the Superman you know from the comics, and we're just giving you the Superman with the comics. The difference, though, yeah. is that Christopher Reeve is so charismatic, and he's so human, especially yeah. if you look at the scene with, with a Kidder on the roof when they're talking, uh, and it's like, yeah, oh, there's, there's so much... I can see who bit. this... Yeah, I can see who this Superman is. I know who he is, and I like him because... Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And C Cable is straight-jacketed. I don't think, again, I'm controversially, I don't think Affleck is a good Batman because I don't think he has... A Batman needs to have shades. I've always said this. Batman yeah. is most interesting because he's walking a, a line. Ben Affleck doesn't have that deepness in him to pull that off. And so when he comes to come off gruff, it's like, oh, you're just overplaying your hand a little bit. And yeah, he's yeah. kind of charming as Bruce Wayne, but it's like I you just don't have the gravitas and the chops to pull this off. And I think a lot of it comes down to oh, he's got the voice modulator and that's what Whatever. makes him bad, the, right? Whatever, like the yeah. voice modulator that yeah, I've I've never really I've never really liked Ben Affleck as Batman. Like I think in my initial review for that movie when I saw it, I said Ben Affleck plays this character as if he's a serial killer. Like this, in the way that he walks around, <laughs> yeah. like the, the, the presence that he carries in any given scene. Like even when they're at Lex Luthor's party, if Ben Affleck just snapped Lex Luthor's neck right there, I would not be shocked. I'd be like, "Yep, that's how this person walks around every day," and it's just how he's. It's it's how Affleck plays him. Like, yeah, there's no shade to him. It's just he puts on a public face, which we barely see any of in this universe. Which I really, I wish we saw more of that. And then he's just got the. I am dark and somber and sad and angry and. Mm. <laughs> but the parts that I've seen him in in the Zack Snyder Justice League, I like him in that because no, he's no, not trying to be. Oh yeah, and that's the thing. He's like Zack Snyder's Justice League sold me on Ben Affleck as Batman to the point where I was like, why didn't we write him like? Why did I need that other movie? He's playing a Batman that I recognize as Batman now. What? What? Did, why didn't we do this the last? Time and even Superman is acting more like Superman in that movie. <laughs> what? Why did it take us three movies to get these characters right? Yeah, but <laughs> again, going back to the Snyder dissonance, it's funny that they go all of Justice League to make Superman more like you know the the uplifting moral Superman, just to turn him into the evil Superman again at the very end. I hate it. Yeah. Okay, so I would. So I'll I'll say this. Um, and I don't, I was going to give it an exceptionally, I was going to give that movie like a four out of five rating when I watched it the first time. Like I was really going like, yes, it's, it's beautiful to look at. And for this kind of movie, I'm totally on this thing's wavelengths for some reason. There's more, there's a little bit more humor. There's the absurdity is working for me. I, I'm really in love with this. And then the last 25 minutes of teases for stuff that's never going to get made happens. And I'm like, Okay, you just lost half a star because of that. Yeah. That you never like. I I wanted to slap the editor. I was like, get rid of all of this. We have <laughs> something great, and you just yeah. 
why did you do that? Yeah, it's that just, I, I just, I don't know. Like when, and Brian, I don't know if we want to, we're trying to wind this down or anything, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. Like at the, there's so much, okay, trying to bring this back to Aquaman, okay? So Batman versus Superman is funny because the whole, there's a line in the movie where it's Holly Hunter saying, this is how democracy works as we talk to each other, right? And then the whole rest of the movie instead of learning from that, the whole rest of the movie is just characters not talking to each other. When when Superman goes to fight Batman, he talks to him for maybe one second, then he gets pissed and he just tries to kill him for the rest of the time. And then they don't talk. And then, it, I don't, and so, I don't know, It so it comes down to the very end and it's this big meaningful scene where it's Affleck's Bruce Wayne talking to, to Diana of, uh, you know, talking to her about what it means. And, you know, men kill, we fight, but we can do better. And he's talking to her. That scene, to me, in, in BBS, is the epitome of mansplaining. Because he's, <laughs> he, he is telling the lesson. He is vocalizing the lesson of the movie and telling and saying what men mean and what they're good at. He is He's espousing to this woman who's lived hundreds of years and has already seen it happen. He's talking at her. He's not letting her talk. She knows all this already. And he's basically just mansplaining to her the meaning of the movie. And all she can do is just walk off. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't. And the, but that's the difference between this movie, between that movie and this movie. Is I, there's a sincerity when Arthur says, to, and again, you can see it when, when Atlanta comes up. You can see Orm's world shatter. He's like, yeah. you're alive. All this has been, I've been so angry for so long for no reason. And, but he doesn't know how to handle it because he spent the whole movie. He's not just going to be fine within a five-minute, uh, you know, denouement, right? He's, no. he's broken to the point where Arthur has to say, when you're ready, let's talk. But, you know, how Orm put, um, let's see, what is his name? I keep forgetting his name. How Orm put Volko away. And he says, make sure he has a view. When they take Orm away, Volko says, well, make sure that he has a view. Right. It's, there's a very there's a kindness and a heart to the movie. And when you see Atlanta and Tom get back together, when you see Arthur, you know, say, I'm Arthur, man, I'm, I'm in charge of I'm, you know, I've been able to bridge the sea world and the yeah. real world. There's I he's vocalizing it, but in a way that's not talking down to the audience. No. Again, it's, it's very sincere and it works. Mm -hmm. And at the very end. I was like, yeah, that was great. Thank you for this. Thank you for making a sincere, goofy comic book movie because that's what comic books at their very heart, at the very center, that's what they are. And so I think I think Juan really nails that attitude regardless yeah. of the too muchness. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. And I think that, yeah, just the, that whole thing of like people who, the characters who, characters who just talk to each other and want to learn from each other and from their experiences, I think... I feel like DC EU movies after this one kind of they learned from this because in the Shazam movies, in Birds of Prey, in Wonder Woman 84, you have more scenes of people talking to each other, trying to talk each other down, trying to appeal to each other's like this basic humanity in a way that hadn't been done in these movies before. And so I think that that's what the universe took from this movie and what mm -hmm. James Wan and the screenwriters did. Like, look, we need to have these heroes talk to each other. We need to try, yes, they're going to beat each other up, but we need to try to 
we need to remind the audience these are human beings beneath all the colorful costumes and the powers and the CG, whatever. And after this movie, I think that they latched on to that. And this movie starting that, I'm eternally thankful to it for that. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's like, yeah, this is a really good, this is a really good like starting point for the second half of this universe. And part of me is going to be sad to see it end just because I'm going to miss the roller coaster of quality and insanity <laughs> of it all. I hope it maintain. I hope going forward they can maintain the whole like. I hope they continue letting the directors dictate how the movies go instead of being a unified thing. I mean, like, yeah. you can have it. You can have it be a universe if you like. Like I'm not against that, but just like I want. I want DC movies to continue to continue feeling like, oh, Kathy Yan made this movie, or oh, Zack Snyder made this movie, or oh, Patty Jenkins made these two movies. They're her movies, or even, for better or worse, Joss Whedon made that movie, and only he could have made that movie. It's like I like seeing an artist's fingerprints on their work and not feeling like oh, anybody could have made this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I. <laughs> Again, if, if we're to bring this back to the Snyder Bros, the thing that frustrates me is they it has to be one thing. It can't be multiple things. Even though Zack yeah. Snyder, their their god, approves yeah. of all this and wanted it this way, right? Even though he, oh, yeah. he gave Jenkins the blessing or, or you know all this stuff, it's like you don't have to have one morose sourpuss kind of tone to your movies. But yeah. you you it's it's just not for me. But I'm not saying that that shouldn't exist it's just there should be different things that we can pull from but you don't have to get toxic about it it's just i i like that there are all these different filmmakers that are able to do what they want and have a stamp and make a stamp on them um as opposed to uh what just happened with the marvels oh, right that, where it's the yeah, costa yeah, that, uh, so that, that hurts so the other thing is that Snyder gives his filmmakers the freedom, which unlike the guy that runs MCU, he kind of like, that you have to do it my way, and you can only play in my sandbox, which is why Black Panther ends the way that it does, and which is weird why the Guardians of the Galaxy movies are like, in, again, sorry to be so on the nose, but like in a different universe, in a different galaxy, because those movies stand on their own as opposed to having, and they've got their own personality through yeah. and through, where so many others... Again, even Black Panther, which I love and adore, I'm I'm willing to admit that that last fight is very weak and not not as strong as some of the other drama in the movie. And luckily, it brings it back with the drama. But again, it's it's good that you give these people the freedom to do what they want to do, even if you don't always agree with where they take it. At least there's a personality. Yeah, and I think I think I think it also I think I agree. I think it, I think it speaks to like the idea of. Comic books are great because you can have a bunch of different writers and artists working on these characters and they're going to bring their own flair to it, like their own vision. And so having a universe or just a series of comic book superhero movies where everyone you can tell, oh, this distinctive director made that one, that reflects what comic books should be to me. Like if I read comic books, I would want to be able to pick up oh, a Spider-Man comic written by this person or that person and tell that they were from different people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, to, to bring it back to uh, 
Aquaman, and I mean, you know, honestly, one of the main reasons I wanted to talk about this movie, uh, you know, Darren, you were you were talking about all these scenes that really have an impact, especially at the end. You're 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 talking about the scene, the reunion between Tom and Atlanta, and Atlanta, and um, uh, Curry's voiceover at the end, and just so many of these scenes that really have an impact. Uh, one of the main reasons I, I think they do is the score by Rupert Gregson Williams. And I, mm-hmm. I, I am very much on record. I mean, you guys, you guys have seen me tweet about it. I mean, I, I think that was a big reason why we ended up uh, deciding to do this episode. Um, I, I love, Gregson Williams score. It's 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 one of those film it's one of those scores where I don't know that I would ever say it is necessarily a great score, but it's one of my very favorites of all time. And one of the things that I keep coming back to when I listen to it is that it's it's very lush. It is is a very lush synthesized sound. Uh, Darren, you and I were talking about Zimmer last year, and this this score really does like the 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 Zimmer score that this reminds me the most of is Broken Arrow, which you know is one of my favorites, and it's because of the synthesizers. And there are also moments in this this score that really, I mean, this is going to sound like blasphemy, but really (laughs) feels like Gregson Williams was inspired by Van Gogh's score for Blade Runner, especially the introduction to Atlantis. Yeah. I I think that type of, that, that track. The synth, the synth stuff, right? The synth stuff. Yeah. It has such a, it has such a sound. It really reminds, it, it really takes us into the world of, uh, Aquaman in the same way that Vangelis did in Blade Runner. And uh, it's it's a huge part of the world building. And I, I love the big orchestral swells. I love the big uses of per- percussion, of brass, of the emotional material, especially when it comes to Atlanta's uh, arc and her moments with Tom, when she is re- revealed in the trench, and that I I love this score so much. It's one that I, but there are also some very familiar action beats. They're not unlike a lot of what we've heard from composers like Harry Gregson Williams and Hans Zimmer and other other composers over the years. That's a that's another plus I think for the DCU is I think it's got stronger scores and that again it might have to do with the, the yeah. Zimmer kind of thing. But yeah. you know Wonder Woman has a very strong theme. I think Superman yeah. has a very strong theme and um, yeah. again this score it's not like the greatest score but it, it no. works for the movie and I think the big flourishes and uh, Williams knows how to you know he knows how to score each individual scene so that each it scene has a different flavor to it. 
Yeah. yeah. That's big. Again, the music scores are very... Again, the visuals in these movies, the action scenes in these movies, they're very rich. There's a, Again, there's a voice that's rich to them. So I, I'm not... I just... I don't know. It, it's hard because I don't... I'm tired of the connectivity of the the MCU. But then the reason this universe didn't work, it's just so messy. Like, there's, there's yeah. no connection to anything. And so they're... Uh, yeah. I, so I, don't know. I I welcome the reboot because I'm I'm. It, it goes back oh, yeah, to I, didn't I, I I don't want I get kind of get tired of trilogies or universes because it's like if okay I welcome new takes right I mean I remember getting really mad. So Batman it was before I really dived into Batman comics like the '89. It didn't really do it for me. I mean the aesthetics worked. I mean Batman Returns wasn't really a Batman movie. Batman Forever kind of got more of Batman for me. That kind of thing. It's just, I, you know, you, you're just you're kind of getting a. There's different takes. You can like them or not. I remember getting really mad about Batman and Robin because they didn't have anything else, right? And then the Nolan movies came, and I was like, oh, this is the Batman that I've always wanted. Not the, not just that I've always wanted, but that I didn't know that I needed. And so when The Dark Knight Rises ends with the shot of Bruce Wayne happy and complete and kind of overcoming his pain, I was like, this is what I needed from a Batman story. So when Batman v Superman came out, it's just kind of the thing that I kind of rolled my eyes at. I was like, well, this isn't my Batman. I already have the Nolan Batmans. I already have the, the animated series. I can turn to those, right? But the problem is, if I disagree with your take on a, on a franchisable character, I get depressed when it turns out that that's the only take we're going to have for the next mm-hmm. 10 years. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I would rather have a different take and different have different filmmakers come in. I'm just getting tired of the old trilogy thing. And again, I can say that because I'm I basically got what I wanted because of the Nolan films. So mm-hmm. I I I had that I had that feeling with I have that feeling with like the and I I, I will I will praise this movie whenever possible, but like I had that with the 2003 Peter Pan that no one saw. Oh, I, like, like, I love that one. Yeah, I've thing. seen it. That, so, so, <laughs> so, so it's like, how you feel about the Nolan Batmans? That's how I feel about that Peter Pan, where it's like, look, this is what this is the Peter Pan that I never knew I needed. Like, this just gets it. All the joy of going off to Neverland and then all the, all the darkness of it. It's like, this is perfect. And then realizing he needs to grow up to experience the world. And so I'm, I, I see other takes come, and I'm like, I'm not mad these exist. But they're not gonna be my take. They're not gonna be what. They're not gonna reach this. We're never gonna yeah. have another one like this again. And they don't all have to be. I'm not gonna gatekeep like that. But for me, mm-hmm. that Peter Pan is what I think of when I think of those characters in that story. When I think of Superman right now, I think of I think of Christopher Reeve because that. He's a be- he understands the beacon of hope aspect of the character. When I think of Wonder Woman, I think of the both of the Patty Jenkins movies. It's like, yeah, these are definitive versions of these characters for me. And when I think of Aquaman, I think of Jason. I think of Jason Momoa. It's like, yeah, this is this is what I think this character looks like. This is how I think he acts like, how he sounds. This is who he is. And any other take yeah. is going to have to live up to that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's yeah. exciting. I want to see where where it goes. I think the yeah. the main the main negative with Gunn's new take is keeping some of the old actors. It kind yeah. of I get why people are having a problem with that because uh, it's... I yeah like the the Viola like 
Viola Davis is a god tier A plus get for any movie ever, but it's weird that we're keeping her and by proxy, you're just gonna ask me to ignore what are you asking me to ignore? Like, did the Suicide Squad and Peacemaker happen? Did Suicide Squad One happen? Like, what? Like, they need to define what exactly stays and what doesn't, because yeah, it's, that's the problem. And well, then, like John John Cena, it's like they need all right. Like, is I might just specifically say the Suicide Squad was the start of the Gunverse, as far as I know. Yeah, at well, this point. Yeah, I mean. The, it's it's going to be hard to move on because we've got one foot still stuck in the door, right? It's so yeah. I don't know. It's it's just it's interesting. I get what he's doing because he doesn't want to get rid of some of these people and he likes working with them. But that's it's it's kind of like what the MCU is doing with the X Men right now. It's like guys, <laughs> I don't oh. I don't want the same X Men. I, I was kind oh, of excited yeah. to see what your new take. Would yeah, be and that's yeah. Just... And I'll and I'll and I'll say this: I, I've defended Multiverse of Madness many many times and will do it. I think it's really fun. When they played the 90s X-Men theme for Professor X, when he rides in on his little golden wheelchair, as somebody who didn't grow up watching the 90s X-Men but knows that that's what it's associated with, I rolled my eyes. I was like, yep, that's okay, <laughs> so you're yeah, I get why you're doing it, but it's weird. It's like, I don't have any affection for that. I mean, yes, Patrick Stewart back, hooray. But making it be that specific version of it was just so odd. It's like this this fan service mindset they have sometimes doesn't make <laughs> sense. It doesn't help it. Like my, to me, the best way to service me as a fan in any movie or series or whatever is to tell me a good story, give me characters I like, give me action that's cool, make me remember something about your movie. I see hundreds of movies a year. Make me remember yours. Exactly. And the, yeah. at least, at least in Multiverse of Madness, at least Raimi has the good sense to kill, literally kill off oh, I, all that oh, fan service oh, oh, in oh, the I most ridiculous that. way. <laughs> I, oh, it, oh, I, I adored that. Like when they did that, I was like, ah, oh, there. Thank God, this is the most glorious right. thing of the entire movie. But I, I want both of your takes on this too. Was like, you know, Raimi doing that. The thing that makes Multiverse of Madness great for me is that instead of it being Black Panther that starts off really strong and then the, the MCU kind of, you know, cliches kind of sneak into it, Multiverse of Madness starts off as being really cliched and really MCU-ish, but the longer that it goes, it becomes a full-on Raimi movie by the very end. Mm -hmm. And that's I what I adore that. about that movie. So what I want to know from you guys, though, is what who do you think are really great comic book filmmakers who gets it i think for me i think gun gets it the shot in the suicide squad where it has the heroes walking towards the camera and in the background there's a giant shark <laughs> running <laughs> with them it, it sells the silliness of what comic books is i think gun gets it obviously you guys know that i adore the guardians of the galaxy yeah, movies Raimi absolutely gets it i don't think that in comic books for me it doesn't. The comic books can't really work in live action because that's not the appeal of what a comic, right? It, it's hard to like literalize yeah. something. Mm -hmm. Raimi gets it. Raimi absolutely. Those movies come closest to being live action comic book movies. I think Raimi really yeah. gets it. I think in this movie, I think Juan gets it, but he only has the one movie. Um, Nolan is is interesting because he tried to make it real, so it works for that version. Ooh. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. Burton work. Yeah. I think his aesthetics are great. Um, just trying to think of who else, but like, yeah, again, if I'm looking at, and then obviously, and then, you know, the Spider Verse movies are living yeah. comic books. I guess they're the aesthetic the, of everything. Yeah, they're the the Spider Verse movies are the they are the the standard of this genre at this point for me. Um, but you know, but Brian, even, even Snyder gets it. Yeah, <laughs> he, he 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 get and that's why I like his Justice League because he gets it. Like this is a I wrote in my review. It's a living, breathing comic book. It is shot like panels and stuff. I was able to ride with that, but I get why others would have hated that. Yeah, see, I'm very mixed on Snyder's approach. I mean, I talked about it earlier in this yeah, episode. I, um, I mean, Darren, I, I definitely agree with you on Gunn and Raimi. Uh, man, I mean, it's... I, I think Del Toro gets it. I mean, I, oh, his, I'm a that first Hellboy is great. Yeah, of the two Hellboys films, um, and I think his just his his obsessive. Uh, I I think his love of creatures and his love of uh, just oddball characters I think suits just beautifully for um, that. Uh, well, Del Toro's yeah, I mean, on a different level as a filmmaker anyway. So. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> very much so. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think to a certain extent Juan gets it. And we'll see with uh, Lost Kingdom, see if uh, he continues to get it. Um, well, the the only last thing I'll say on Juan, too, is my, my brother-in-law, who's who's really funny, he likes to kind of get a, a take and think that, you know, to be to really, like, hammer something home. When he saw Aquaman, he's like, oh, the only thing I didn't like is the characters would just pose and it would, like, pause on them. Like, that's what? And I, and I was like, really? well, that's... What do you think a comic book is? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what like, I mean? So he at least gets that. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Yeah. I, so, yes. Sorry. Sorry I keep interrupting. I'm terrible at getting people done. Um, I guess... Comic book filmmakers that get it, that really like, get it for me. I would say, uh, again, like I said, like Sam Raimi really gets it. Those things are just so goofy and exaggerated and ridiculous, but they also nail all of the human drama of it to ground it. And ridiculous, then, but dynamic. His, his yeah. camera work is dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and, and again, it's like even like this, the way that he handles the, 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 the human drama, like in Spider Man 2, it's about how much being Spider Man would suck. Yeah. And it's like, okay, this feels real. Like the world is not real at all, but the way the characters are dealing with it does. And then I would, I think that this might be a bit of a controversial pick. I think Patty Jenkins gets it because. She's able to, I think in both of her movies, she's able to ground them in a character place and also have all of the extreme Greek fantasy stuff and the golden suit that, you know, that Orn absolutely stole from the Amazonians somehow. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I think she gets it. I think, I think that Ryan Coogler got it on Wakanda Forever. I think that he got it there in that he's able to have much more fantastical elements in that movie than in the first one, but also again, like keep the emotional center of it on the 
on like the the characters grieving and just making them feel human and all of that. And then again, number one choice, I think the Spider Verse guys really, really, really get it because those mm-hmm. movies are those movies are insane and visually nuts, and they're doing things that you can only do well in animation. But they're also telling stories with these characters. I mean, literally, they have the Ben Day dots, like, (laughs) so it looks like it's printed on comic book pages. I didn't even, I didn't even realize that, like that. Yeah, you look really close, but it's it's on a technical level. It's just and the thing, like, and the thing, like, I was I was watching Across again a couple weeks ago, and it was like as insane and outrageous as this story is. If I try to describe it to someone, the the punch of what the characters are dealing with really, really lands. So I don't think about, oh, this is stupid, all these different Spider-Man, there's a Spider-Man dinosaur over there. What is that? I'm like, oh no, Miles Morales needs to get out of here. Oh man, I hope Gwen Stacy can deal with this and figure out who she is. It's like, mm. they really, they really get it in a way that I don't think any yeah. other filmmaker working today does. And like, I combine the absurd with the relatable. <laughs> well, gentlemen, um, I, I, I have personally, I have to wrap up this conversation because I'm starting to crash <laughs> over here. Well, we could go uh, on forever. I think that's the yeah. thing. Yes, we, we can. I, I mean, I, I've had long, I, I've had a long day, but I mean, I, I have really enjoyed this conversation. It's been a long time coming and it's been great to hear your respective opinions on on this movie and on comic book movies in general i mean this is part of why i wanted to have this conversation because there's so much to talk about with regards to this movie in its place in comic book cinema and uh before we uh wrap up uh, if you guys want to share where we can find your work you go first <laughs> well, again, you can. I, the only place you can really find me is on on Twitter. I'm not calling it that other thing. I think I'm going to stop doing that. But you can find me at DW Lemberg right now. I think we've just. I think we started our next season of Nostalgia Cast. This time, instead of looking at '90s movies, we're, we're looking at '70s movies. So already, people are are disinterested. <laughs> but <laughs> it's been really interesting so far because we're three episodes in, and it's just being able to talk about New Hollywood and how Spielberg and De Palma and Scorsese and Coppola came in um, because you know Hollywood and audiences are tired of the big budget spectacle of the '50s and '60s, and so the '70s was the it breathed new life into film for at least a decade. And it's funny because reflecting on that in the '70s, we're seeing that exact thing play out now which is what Spielberg said a, a few months or a couple years back saying about there's going to be an implosion. There's going to be a few movies that are not going to just crash, which is what we're seeing with comic book movies now. And so we're, we're now in a place because Hollywood is ebbs and flows and it repeats and it's a circle. And so we're going through that thing all over again uh, because after the seventies, the, the studios wrestle back control and the eighties were all about excess and the nineties, they found independent stuff. And so it's just been really interesting seeing, 
you know, the cycles that Hollywood goes through, especially going talking about 70s films. So that's what we're doing there now. Uh, we've covered The Godfather. We've covered The Deer Hunter. We've covered uh, Disney's Robin Hood. Um, so, yeah, please go and uh, check us out over there. We're having a fun time. And, again, just because these you, you're not familiar with these movies because they were made, like, what, 40 years ago, that doesn't mean you shouldn't appreciate them because without these movies, without those movies, we wouldn't have the movies we have now. So I think that's something. Exactly. Yeah, I I had to I had to learn that during college, of like because I used to have the mindset of if it's not made before 1999, why do I need to care about it? Or like or like or like or like like, if it's not made within like the last 30 years, why do I need to look at? Why do I need to watch it? It's going to be days. It's not going to have any point to me. And then I took a film studies class where we watched Sunset Boulevard from 1950, which I fell in love with. So I was like, wow, yeah, I kind of want to see older things now. That really hit me in an, in an unexpected way. Like that still holds up 70 or however many years after. Yeah. Right. Well, Kevin, yeah. where can we find you? Uh, you can stalk me on Twitter <laughs> at Kevin under at Kevin underscore the critic on Twitter, uh, Kevin, the critic, all one word on Instagram, uh, Kevin, the critic, the words are spaced out on Facebook and you can find links to all of that. And my written film reviews on Kevin, the critic.com. I love, I, I love talking movies. I don't get into politics ever. I'm a film page. That's what I, that's what I do. That's what I'm sticking to. And sometimes I post, you know, funny memes that I find on Facebook. <laughs> Although talking about Snyder and Star Wars comes really suspiciously close to politics. And as much as I've talked about, about Snyder here, I, uh, I don't talk about him very much. Like, even the elements of his movies that I do like, I don't talk about. Because I I don't want to. Not all I I not all Snyder fans are insane crazy, but I don't want to. I've met several that are very like level headed and cool, but I don't want to talk to the crazy ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily you guys aren't the crazy ones. I've really I've really enjoyed this conversation, so I'm yes. glad we're able to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for uh, joining me tonight. Thank you thank for you. having us. Always a pleasure, Brian. Thank you. I'd like to thank Darren and Kevin for joining me on the podcast and honestly for taking the lead on this discussion. It's not necessarily something I asked them to do. It's just kind of how the conversation uh, went. And it, it really was beneficial because of the fact that I was out of town when we were recording this. And I was really exhausted. I was coming after a uh, very long day at work, coupled with two screenings on on my phone. So it was a uh, it was a long it it was a long day, and I'm really glad that they were able to uh, help guide the discussion for what we wanted to talk about. That's gonna be it for this episode of the Sonic Cinema Podcast, and. I'm looking forward to <clears throat> sharing my last episode of the podcast this year, as well as uh, getting started on 2024. The end of this year has been a bit weird, 
but I do hope to get back to a regular schedule as I've started to lean into what this schedule for my work is going to be like. And I, I hope to uh, have some more m podcasts, some more great guests, and hope to have some, in addition to new guests, as some returning guests as well, like Darren and Kevin, because I always enjoy talking to them. Uh, thank you very much. You can check me out at Sonic Cinema Patreon, patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema, wherever you listen to the podcast, as well as www.sonic-cinema.com. Thank you.